The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. It's great to be here with you. It's great to be at the end of our first week. It's been a good week, I think. I hope it's been a good week for you. And it's always a joy to gather together in chapel, to sing, and to open God's Word. And that's what I'd like to ask you to do. Please open your Bibles. If you have them, take them out. Open your Bibles. We're going to look at Psalm 111. Psalm 111 this morning. What I'd like to do is this. I'd like to just read through the text, beginning in verse 1 and going through the end. And then we'll ask the Lord's blessing once more on his word as we study it together. But Psalm 111, I'll begin reading here. And remember, this is the word of God. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful for your word. We freely confess that we would be in the dark about so many things regarding you and ourselves and the world in which you've placed us if you had not revealed yourself to us in your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear even this morning. We're so prone to wander, we're so prone to distraction. Father, would you focus our minds on your word, cause us to receive it with gladness and joy, cause us to be convicted and trained by it. We ask for the work of your spirit through your word in our midst, even now, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I had two reasons for looking at this text uh, during this week, the beginning of your semester. Uh, The first reason is this text, Psalm 111, really addresses, in a sense, all of what we're doing here at a place like Cairn. Because because if you see right in uh, verse 2, it it begins by talking about study. It says, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. And then if you go down to verse 7, it says, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Every one of the verses of this psalm deals with the fact that God's word and God's works are to be our chief delight. God's word and God's works are the things that we're supposed to devote ourselves to studying. And in a sense, that's what we try to do here. 
We don't always think of it in those ways. Sometimes we think about studying God's word in a formal sense as we get into a Bible or theology class. But we don't often think about the fact that everything we're studying, in a sense, falls under the category of God's word and God's works. And so one of the reasons why this psalm is worth our attention this week is because this is what we're called to do, to study, to give attention to, the word and works of God. But the second reason that I wanted us to look at this for the brief moments that we have is because this psalm is also a call, an explanation of what kind of disposition we need to have in order to rightly study God's word and works. In other words, it doesn't just call us to study God's word and works It tells us what kind of people we need to be in order to study God's word and God's works. Now, the first point I want to draw to your attention from this psalm is this. This psalm makes it very clear that studying God's word and God's works is worth it. It's worth the effort, it's worth the expense, it's worth the energy, it's worth the sacrifice. We were reminded of this in a different form on Wednesday. Uh, You need to buy truth. But the way this psalmist puts it is that God's word and God's work and studying these things is worth our time. And I want to show you a few reasons why he makes this point. Look at verse 3. He's describing the work of the Lord. And listen to how he describes the work of the Lord. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. Perhaps you've had this experience. I've had it on a number of occasions. I, I can't even number the amount of times this has happened to me where you've, you've perhaps uh, seen a, a great view out in front of you. You come around a corner in your car or you, you get to the top of a mountain and you, and you look back and, and you're just overwhelmed by the majesty of the sight. Maybe, maybe you've even had that this morning. You wake up and you, and you see the sun rising or you see the mist over the pond and you're just overwhelmed by the beauty of it. Or maybe, I'm sure if we went around the room, you could tell me about particular places and particular times when, when splendor and majesty has, has just assaulted your senses. You've just been overwhelmed by it. And what this psalm tells us is, The works of the Lord and the word of the Lord is full of splendor and majesty. In other words, it's worth the effort to understand the works and the word of the Lord because because you'll be overwhelmed by the splendor of it, the riches of it, the beauty of it. It's one of the things about studying God's word and, and, and looking at the world through the lens of God's wor- wor- word is, is you never, it never grows old. The people that I know who, who know their Bibles the best, the people who, are, who have immersed themselves for an entire lifetime in the scriptures always say the same thing. They say, you know, I just feel like I'm barely scratching the surface. It just gets better and better and better. And that's true. The word and the works of the Lord are full of splendor and majesty. Look at this also in verse 7. It says, the works of his hands are faithful and just. Uh, Think about the amount of injustice that we see in the world. Uh, Think about 
the, the number of things that you can look at, the number of things you can give attention to which ultimately aren't telling you the truth. And sometimes you know it. Sometimes you know this person is actually lying to me or, or this advertisement is actually lying to me or this book is actually telling me something that's not true. But that's not the case when it comes to the word and the works of the Lord. Faithful and just. So in other words, you don't have to sift through the good parts and the bad parts of the word of God. You don't have to stand in judgment on the word of God and say, is this true or, or, or is this something that I can apply? Is this something that, that has value and meaning for my life? No, no, no. It's all faithful and just. I bet there's not a single person in your life, not a single other book you've ever read that you could say that about in a comprehensive sense. Everything about the book Everything about the person is entirely faithful, entirely just, entirely trustworthy. But you can say that about the word and the works of the Lord. That's worth your time. That's worth your attention if you find something like that. Also, the psalm reminds us that the word and the works of the Lord have eternal value. Look at verse 3. After saying, full of splendor and majesty is his work, it says, his righteousness endures forever. It's one of the interesting things. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in technology and if, you, if you're interested in learning uh, new things about technology, what you realize very quickly is well, the minute you learn something, it's, it's going to be outdated very quickly. You can do your best to study the latest gadget, the latest uh, computer language, and, 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 and it's worth doing in some cases, but, but you, know, you know that in five years, it's just going to be sort of passe. Same thing is true for so many things in our lives, so many things we strive after. You know, fashion's that way, of course. We, we care about how we look, and then we look at a picture of ourselves five years Afterwards, and we say, what was I thinking? (laughs) But that's not true with the scriptures, is it? It's eternal. His righteousness is everlasting. You want to invest in something that doesn't grow old? You want to invest in something that's never out of date? You want to learn something that won't be obsolete next year? Study the word and the works of the Lord. They're trustworthy. They're true. They have eternal value. They're full of splendor and majesty. And all of that wouldn't be enough if this text didn't also tell us that the word and the works of the Lord are actually something that we can know to some degree. In other words, the word and the works of the Lord are not only worth studying, they're possible to study. Look at what he says in verse 4. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Isn't that an amazing thing? You know, I could tell you stories about things I've read. I could tell you stories about places I've visited. And you might say to yourself afterwards, "Ah, that sounds like a great place to go, but I'll never be able to get there. I'll never be able to experience that for myself. I remember early on when I was starting some of my doctoral research, 
there were some particular books that I knew about. I knew they existed. I knew they were out there. And I knew they were really important. In fact, there was someone I was corresponding with and he t- kept telling me, you have, to, you have to get access to this manuscript. You have to get access to this text. And, and I believed him. I believed it was worth it. I believed it would be, it would be worth my time. But, but, but I, I wasn't exactly sure how I would ever access it. But you see, the word and the works of the Lord not only are eternal and glorious and trustworthy and true, but, but he's also caused these things to be remembered. You have people in your life right here at Cairn and probably people in your life outside of Cairn who can tell you, tell you from their own experience things that the Lord has done. And furthermore, even if you have no one in your life like that, which thankfully isn't true for any of you, you have God's word. He's caused his works to be remembered. So we can know the word of God. We can know the works of the Lord. We can study them. Look at what verse 6 says. He has shown the people the power of his works. God in his great kindness condescended to sinful people and has revealed himself to us. You have your scriptures, you have your church members, you have your Christian friends, you have your teachers, and they can testify to the works of the Lord and to the word of the Lord. That's also implied, I think, in verse 9, because he says, He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. In other words, the Lord has acted definitively in history in ways that are accessible to us. And of course, we can't read verse 9 without thinking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Hebrews 1 says? In many times and in various ways, the Lord spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. So we have this great revelation. We can know who God is. We can know his works. I think that's probably actually the meaning of verse 4 as well. I'm sorry, rather verse 5 as well. Verse 5 sort of seems strange, stuck right here in the middle of this psalm about studying and learning God's word and learning God's works and meditating on these things. It says, he provides food for those who fear him. And most commentators think that really what's being described there is not physical food that we take into our mouths, although God does provide us with that but the food, the spiritual sustenance that we need. Jesus talks this way, of course, in John 6 about himself and about his own teaching. It's food and drink to those who love him. The Lord has done this for us so we can know his word and his works. But the main point that I want you to see in Psalm 111 is not so much the value of studying God's word and works, although... We need to think about that. And not so much the the fact that we can study God's word and works, although what a blessing and a privilege that is. But, But I want you to see the disposition that is required for those who would study God's word and works. This is something all of us need to be reminded of constantly. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 summarizes it. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. And then look back at verse 5, which I just drew your attention to a minute ago. He provides food for those who fear him. Now, I wonder, would anyone say that about you? I mean, I mean would, it, would anyone immediately jump to the description of you, this is a person who fears the Lord? Do you think they, they would? Well, you know, in the Bible, this is something we find again and again and again as a kind of shorthand way of describing people who are gods, people who are followers of him. You know, of course, the, the echo of this in Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We're here in the first week, and I want to tell you what the most important thing is. It's the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of it all. In fact, Psalm 111 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and he gives food to those who fear him. It's so comprehensive in the Old Testament, there's no way I can even give you a sampling of all the passages. I'll just, I'll just give one or two. In, in Genesis 31, when Jacob is speaking with Laban, it's this idea of the fear of God is so, is so closely tied with who God is that he says this, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. When Jacob is thinking about the Lord and thinking about his relationship with the Lord, the fear of God is so embedded in that relationship that he refers to the Lord as the fear of Isaac, the one whom Isaac feared. Or, or we could jump forward to the book of Job. Remember, at the beginning of Job, Job's righteousness is described for us. Job is described as a righteous man. And it says he was blameless and upright. He was one who feared God. And then when Satan comes and tries to attack Job and tries to bring up charges against him before the Lord, the Lord says, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God? And then Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? See, when, when they were talking about Job, they did describe him as one who feared God. That's, in a sense, the summary of Job's life. That's what he was known for. He was a God-fearing man. Even unbelievers are commanded to fear God. In Psalm 2, when the psalmist talks about the kings of the earth and, and those, who are, those who are taunting God and ignoring God, he says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. At the summary point of the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard, is this, fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. In the book of Isaiah. When the coming Messiah is described. When the Lord Jesus Christ is prophesied. Listen to what 
the, the writer says about him, there, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight, the delight of the Messiah, the thing that he takes joy in, shall be the fear of the Lord. I mean, does that even remotely echo what we could say about our own lives? What we could say about our own disposition? What we could say about our own approach to study? That we are people who fear the Lord. Now, this is so comprehensive, but I want to speak just very briefly about the meaning of the fear of the Lord. Because if it's that important, we have to know what it means. And the Bible, I think, gives us some great help with this. There are certainly texts in the scriptures that use that term fear to talk about kind of reverence and awe. That you, that you revere something, that you, you hold it in high esteem, that it's, that it's the most important and awe-inspiring thing in your life. But, but you know, I want to turn your attention to this. There are many texts in Scripture that speak of fear as something going beyond that. That speak of fear not simply as revering and holding in high esteem something or someone, but actually speak of fear in the way that we speak of fear. Terror, dread. You might say, are we supposed to be terrified of the Lord? Is that what it means to fear God? And I think the answer that the scriptures give us is sometimes yes. The book of Hebrews tells us we have to be careful in approaching God in worship because our God is a consuming fire. That we have to be very careful in how we walk because God is a holy God. So yes, of course, reverence and awe is a description of the fear of the Lord. But no, it's, it doesn't stop there. No, I think to be a God-fearing person is to know the Lord for who he is in all his greatness, in all his purity, in all his holiness, in all his majesty. That's what it means to fear God. Do you fear God? You might say, well, I trust God. I love God. I'm grateful to God for all that. Yeah, but do you fear God? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord feeds those who fear him. So what should this look like in our lives? Well, again, such a large subject, we can't cover it fully, but I want to say just two things, just leave you with two ideas that are clearly mentioned in the New Testament related to this notion of fearing the Lord. First of all, if you fear the Lord, and if you take the fear of the Lord seriously, then at, at a very minimum, your, li- your life, our lives, have to demonstrate holiness and purity. I want to read this to you. Peter doesn't pull any punches here in 1 Peter 1. He says this, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And then he, he presses the point. And if you call on him as father, in other words, if you come to God in prayer and say, Lord, help me, Father, help me. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter connects our knowledge of God with our fear of God. And he said, if you're going to call on God as Father, then you also need to conduct yourself in a certain way during your time of exile. You know, we can't separate knowing God's word and works, which we talked about and saw in Psalm 111, saw the benefit of in Psalm 111. We can't separate that from the kind of instruction we receive about holiness and purity. There's just, there's just no biblical way to pull those things apart. The, the fear of the Lord, the Bible tells us, isn't just the beginning of knowledge in the sense that you know, we might have a, a, a starting line for a race and you have to kind of get past the fear of the Lord. And once you get past the fear of the Lord, you can go on and run the rest of the race. It's, it's not the beginning in that sense. It's the beginning more in the sense of something like uh, learning the ABCs. Uh, you, you, you learn the basics of language most of us learn them very early on in our lives. You learn these basics of language, these basic building blocks. And in a sense, that's the start. That's the start of your reading and your writing. Uh, but, but, but in another sense, it, it, you never get past that. Because when you, when you sit down to write anything, even now, when you sit down to read anything, even now, you're using that knowledge that you had. In other words, if I took from you your knowledge of the ABCs, you could no longer read or write. You've gotten beyond that. That's the beginning point. But in a sense, it also provides the foundation. It's infused into everything you do. And that's the way the fear of the Lord works. The fear of the Lord isn't just the starting line that you get past, the box that you check off, and then you move on with study. No, the fear of the Lord infuses all of it. You take the fear of the Lord out, and it's gone. It disappears. Or we might think of it another way. Perhaps another illustration will help. If you, if you drive around this county, some of you are from around here, some of you aren't from around here, but if you get the chance to know this area, you'll see all kinds of new construction, all kinds of new housing developments being built all the time, usually on old farms and things like that. And, and you can watch these houses being built. And, 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 and the fear of the Lord is, is sort of like the frame of the house. In one sense... It's, it's one of the first things you see. But you could never take the frame out. You could never pull out all the boards and still have the house standing. Just like I can never pull the ABCs out of you and have you still write a paper. So the fear of the Lord acts in that way in our lives and in our study. It's the beginning of wisdom, but you never get past it. It's the beginning of knowledge. And in a sense... It's infused in all of your study of the word and the works of the Lord. At the end of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 
gives this description. Actually, the Lord, speaking through Isaiah, talks about Israel's sort of feudal ideas that they were going to build a house that could contain God. And the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you could build for my name? But then, but then the Lord says this, but to this one I will look, the one who is humble and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. In addition to our lives being characterized by holiness and purity, we also need to ask ourselves, is our approach to God's word something that we take with that kind of seriousness? Do we treat it casually? Do we treat it flippantly? Do we ignore what it has to say? No, fear of the Lord involves trembling at the word of God, trembling when you gather together and have the opportunity to hear God's word preached, trembling when you even open it. Lord, I need to hear from you, and this is you we're talking about. This is, this is my creator. This is the holy and righteous one. And so, as we begin this semester, remember that studying the works and the word of the Lord is worth it. It, 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 will, it will pay dividends you can hardly even imagine. It, you will never get to the bottom of it. It will, it will give you life and health and strength and instruction and guidance and comfort and teaching and healing and things to say to people and things that you need to hear. I mean, it, it, it's an endless store of good things. It's worth it. And we can, we can know God's word and God's works because he's revealed himself to us. But don't forget, as we come to know God's word and works, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is an act of worship to study God's word, to know him, and to fear him. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for your word once again. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in it. Give us a disposition of humility, even of fear. Lord, may we know you, may we trust you, may we obey you, and may we be fed by you. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.